0: A few weeks ago, uh, about three or four weeks ago, I think I was, I was here and I had the opportunity to share some thoughts with you and I began to talk about this idea that i had been having about mixed messages. I'm sure some of you were there. And I, I talked about all the confusing and conflicting messages and images that come firing at us from every direction. And some mixed messages we talked about are just sort of silly, stupid mistakes sometimes that, that things get confused. And I showed a few pictures a few weeks ago. I found, I found a few more. Have we got a few more pictures for us today? No signs on this fence, says the sign. That's a, there's a mixed message in that sign. What's the next one? Get it while it's hot, this bag of ice. Um, I'm not sure what message they're trying to send to us. I really like this next one. Um, we go into the cookies, cracker, candy, and healthy living aisle. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, where can I buy the, you know, the healthy products? It's just right between the, the crackers and the candy, just down that aisle there. And churches, I said last time, churches sometimes get it wrong. Um, <laughs> Don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. Um, maybe some mixed messages in there. But I also talked about the fact that there are some mixed messages that are much more serious. And that we seem to be getting mixed messages from all corners of our world all the time. That sometimes we have mainstream news media or social media that can so often say one thing in one moment and then present a completely opposing idea in the very next moment. And the message gets confused and it gets unclear and we're left wondering what's really going on, what is really being said, and what are we supposed to think about it all? But then I realized that I should probably be less concerned with the mixed messages I'm receiving and more concerned with the mixed messages I might be sending to people. And I talked about the fact that my thoughts, so that is my attitudes and my heart and my motivations, my words, what I say, what I write, what I post and my deeds, so my actions and my behaviors, all three of those things need to be working in alignment with one another in order for my message to be clear. Because if my message is unclear, then other people may start to think, say, or do things that are untrue or wrong. But they may be thinking, saying, or doing those things based on the message they're receiving from me, even if I think I'm sending them a different message from the one they're receiving, right? Confused? Yeah, it was a bit unclear, wasn't it? But the same can be said that if I send a clear message, but if that message is actually wrong, then people can start thinking, saying, or doing the wrong things based on the message that they've received from me. It's a clear message, but it's the wrong message. I wanna show you a video of uh, my family from about 14 years ago, and I know some of you have seen it before. I've shown it before. And in this video, my son, Ethan, is not yet a one-year-old. But I have managed to communicate to him a message that is not true. It's a lie but he's behaving in a way that makes sense based on the message that I've sent him, but he's not behaving in a way that makes sense based on the truth. Have a look at this video. Now, Ethan, how can you make that light come on? If you squint, if you squint your eyes, you make, I it'll come back on. There you go, good boy. Yeah, it's off. Now, if only we could turn it back on. How do you think we could do it? That's it, well done. Try it again, there you go, good boy. With the power of your mind, you can turn that light on. (laughs) Good boy. (laughs) He was fully convinced that he could turn a light on or off by blinking or squinting at it. That's what he thought could happen. I'm not entirely sure how we managed to convince him of this at such a young age, but we did. Wouldn't that be a cool power to have, though? Imagine going to a concert and just messing with the lighting operator. Just and just, they, just go, they can't figure out what's going on. But just a few days after this video was recorded, we were driving uh, somewhere in the car, and Ethan was in the car seat in the back, and the sun was streaming in through his window. So you can see what's coming, right? He started to get really upset because he couldn't turn the sun off by blinking at it. And we realized we had to stop sending that message to him because he had somehow learnt somehow, it's definitely my fault. Um, But we had to stop doing that because he had the wrong message, he had the wrong belief based on what we were communicating to him. And it's a hilarious video, I love it so much. But we need to be careful about what messages we're sending people. I think now more than ever, in order to engage well with society around us, we need to make sure we're sending a clear message and that we're keeping the main things the main things and we're making sure that our thoughts, our words and our deeds are working together to express that message. See, when we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus kept his message clear. Jesus consistently demonstrated that his thoughts, his words, and his deeds were in alignment. What he prayed, what he said, and what he did all gave the same message. How he behaved with his disciples in private, what he spoke about in front of the clouds, in front of the clouds, in front of the crowds, and what he did and how he acted publicly all matched up with each other. And today I want to look At a chapter in the Gospel of John that demonstrates this idea. And we start in John chapter 8. There's just a a couple of verses there. It says this When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. See, Jesus presents this idea, I am the light of the world. But the Pharisees don't believe him because they're saying that's just words. That's just a claim that Jesus was making about himself. They didn't see any evidence that Jesus could use to back it up. So why should they believe something that Jesus was just saying? And shortly after that moment, we come to the story in John chapter 9, which is where we're going to sit for a while today and explore nearly this whole chapter. In John chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, it says this, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, I think this story gets intriguing straight away. I mean, Jesus had already healed people who were blind before this moment, but in this particular case, it was a man who had been blind from birth. So it's a little bit different. And the disciples asked the question, is he blind because his parents sinned, or is he blind because he sinned? Isn't that just compassion at work? It's like, look at this poor guy, he's blind from birth. Was that his fault or his parents' fault? Like, that's kind of all they wanted to know. But the thing is that that was actually a significant theological or philosophical question in the time, because the law that had been given to Moses, you know, hundreds of years earlier in Exodus says that the guilty will be punished to the third and fourth generation, and so whenever someone was born with an ailment or disease, the debate was, or the question was, was, was that disease caused by the sins of the parents or the grandparents or the great grandparents, or was it caused because actually they sinned before birth? Like, whose fault was that? And the disciples in that moment didn't really, didn't re, weren't really interested in what was going to happen to the man. They didn't ask Jesus, are you going to heal this man? They just wanted Jesus to solve a riddle. Who sinned first? the parents, or the unborn child. like that's, that's what they wanted to know. It carries on, verse 3 to 5. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So Jesus responds by saying, this man's blindness, it's not, a, it's not about retribution or punishment for sin of him or his parents, this is a moment to show compassion. This is a moment to show God's power. This is a moment to do God's work. And then he states again, I am the light of the world. We carry on, verses 6 and 7. After saying this, he spit on the ground, as you do, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This this word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Of all the unexpected things that Jesus did, this has got to be right up there with the strangest, don't you think? I mean, for a start, there's no conversation recorded between Jesus and the man. Right? It just said that Jesus saw a a man blind from birth as he went along. It doesn't tell us whether the blind man called out to Jesus, it doesn't tell us whether the blind man asked to be healed. And later in the passage, we find out that the blind man didn't even really know much about Jesus or who he was at all at this point. But here's Jesus putting mud on his eyes and then telling him to go and wash in a pool, which was quite some distance from where they were. And you know what Jesus doesn't say to him? You'll be healed if you do this. He just says, go wash. Right. And the blind man may have heard of Jesus before, and he, he might have overheard Jesus talking to the disciples just a moment before. We, d- we don't really know. It, it doesn't tell us. But imagine this blind man sitting there, someone that you've never really heard of comes and puts dirt and mud and saliva in your eyes and then tells you to go and wash it off. There's no explanation. There's no promise of healing. And we don't even know for certain whether the blind man went and washed because he expected healing or whether he actually went and washed because he had mud on his face that he wanted to just wash off. He doesn't want to sit and beg with mud all over his face. So he went to the pool And washed. But I don't know why he chose to do it, but I'm glad he did, because after he went and washed, he came back and he could see. Let's carry on in the story. Verses 8 to 12. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. That's quite an interesting exchange, isn't it? But the idea that someone blind from birth could be healed was so shocking that even his neighbors and those who had seen him begging didn't believe that he was the same man. Yeah. And these are people who would have helped him and would have been caring for him and giving support to him for years. He wasn't a young child. He was a man. He'd been in this place for a long time. This wasn't just a case of Jesus coming and repairing some damage or restoring sight to somebody who couldn't quite see properly. This was the equivalent of creating new eyes for a man whose eyes had never seen anything. And it was so surprising that they decided to bring him before the religious leaders, the Pharisees. And we read on. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. And the Pharisees are showing even less compassion than the disciples were earlier, right? Because the message they're sending is that they are far more concerned about the idea that someone has done something on a Sabbath than the fact that this blind man has been healed, and for those who don't know, for the Jews, the Sabbath is a holy day in the week from Friday night to Saturday night, and they believe you can do no work whatsoever during that time. And the Pharisees are far more concerned about the possibility that maybe someone has done something wrong than they're concerned about the complete and utter life transformation that has taken place right in front of them. Because a blind man couldn't work in those days, but a seeing man could. A blind man was essentially an outcast from society, but with sight, he could be reintegrated into his family and his community. A blind man had to beg for food and money and support, but now he could work for it and earn his own living. This is a complete life transformation, but the Pharisees couldn't see past the fact that it had been done on a Sabbath. We carry on, we read further in the story, 17 to 23. Then they turned again to the blind man. Well, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. This is all based on their their discussion, is he a sinner or not? And the man replied, he's a prophet. And other translations actually say, I think he must be a prophet. They still did not believe that he'd been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So the debate rages on, right? There's this question, how can somebody who is of God do something so sinful as work on a Sabbath? That seemed completely impossible to the Pharisees. But then on the opposite side of the debate was how could a sinner who is not of God do something so miraculous as to give sight to someone blind from birth? There's this paradox going on. They can't correlate these two ideas. And so like before, some of them concluded, well, clearly it's actually not the same man. It's just somebody who looks exactly like him and is the same age and sounds like him and is in the same place. Or they concluded that, no, 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 It's all been, his whole life, he's pretended to be blind, and now he's pretending to see. He's waited 20 or 25 or 30 years for this man, Jesus, who he didn't even know was coming, to come and heal him so he could pretend that he could see he wasn't really blind. That must be the answer to our paradox. It's the only way they could solve the problem. But the parents are brought in, and they give testimony. It's truly him, and he was truly blind from birth. the story carries on. Verse 24, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. So they seem to have accepted the evidence that he was healed, but they refused to believe that the healing was performed by Jesus because even the act of making mud, spitting and combining it with the dirt on a Sabbath makes him a sinner because that's work. And if he's a sinner, he cannot be a man of God. So they're demanding to this blind man, tell the truth. It wasn't really Jesus, just give glory to to God. It was a divine act, It, it was a miracle, but it was not Jesus, for he's a sinner, so he can't have healed you, so please tell us the truth. And I love this man's reply. It's so simple, but it's so powerful. In verse 25, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, but now I see. And in basically every translation I looked at, they all include an exclamation mark. He is so excited about what Jesus has done for him. His life has been transformed because of what Jesus did. The Pharisees, they want to talk about the law, and they want to talk about the Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath, and how does healing on the Sabbath fit in their theology? But this man, a man who would not have been a scholar, who could not read or write, who would have nowhere near the level of scriptural knowledge that the Pharisees would have had, he doesn't want to get caught up in that because he doesn't know whether he's a sinner, he doesn't know whether he's a prophet, he doesn't know where he is, he doesn't know how he did it, he doesn't know how it fits with the law, he doesn't know why he used mud, he doesn't know why he did it on a Sabbath, but one thing I do know, he says, I was blind, but now I see. This man's message was clear, this man's message was simple, This man's message was a testimony of the work of Jesus Christ in his life. It was his story. And by telling his own story and not getting into any of the other complicated questions, he only gave people two choices. You either had to believe him or not believe him. And they either had to accept his story as the truth or they had to call him a liar. So they tried calling him a liar, but then they found other evidence that he was Telling the truth, and he just stuck to the simple truth of his story. I was blind, but now I see. The passage goes on in chapter 9, and you can read the rest sometime. But the Pharisees keep questioning him, they keep accusing him. But this man just keeps getting bolder and bolder with his answers, and eventually said, eventually says, Well, that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, whether he's from God or not. Yet he opened my eyes. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And the Pharisees just get angry and shout at him and just say, how dare you lecture us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. See, this healing created a big problem for the Pharisees. Not just the fact that he was healed on Sabbath, because that was problem enough, but this healing was the evidence that they did not want to see supporting the claim of Jesus from just a few moments before that he was the light of the world. I am the light of the world, Jesus said. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, will have the light of life. Jesus wasn't just spouting an idea. He wasn't just speaking words. He followed it up with action. He literally brought this blind man out of darkness and into light. But he also did it spiritually. He healed him physically, but he also brought this man from darkness to light spiritually. At the, at the start of the story, the man blind from birth didn't even know who Jesus was. And at first, he described him as the man they call Jesus. And then he called him, well, maybe he's a prophet. And then he acknowledged him as a man of God. And then later, he acknowledged him as the Son of Man, which is another name for Christ. And then finally, at the end of the story, when he meets Jesus, he calls him Lord, and he bows down and worships him. He has gone on a journey of faith that has moved him from darkness to light, while he physically has gone from darkness to light, from a place of not knowing who Jesus was to worshiping him as Lord. See, Jesus claimed with his words that he was the light of the world. And then he proclaimed that to be true with his deeds. His message was clear. But the Pharisees couldn't get his message. The Pharisees rejected his message. And I think the main reason is because they thought they were already in the light. They didn't think they were in darkness. They didn't think they were blind. In fact, there's a whole uh, conversation later on where the Pharisees are are talking to Jesus about that. They couldn't accept his claims because they didn't accept their own blindness. But the man blind from birth was able to receive the message because he was blind, and now he could see. And he just started telling everybody his story. He told his parents. He told his neighbors. He told the other people in the community. He told the people in the synagogue. He told the Pharisees. He told everyone what happened to him. This man, Jesus, put mud on my eyes, and he told me to wash, and I was blind, and now I see. And there was power in his testimony. There was power in his story, because it was his story. And we can all have a story. We can all have a testimony of God's work in our lives. We may not know everything. We may not have all the answers to people's questions. But one thing we do know is what God has done for us. There is power in your story. As you know, a few, or just two weeks ago, wasn't it, was Father's Day? And we showed the video of Arthur Mackenzie's story. A remarkable story of God's faithfulness through incredibly difficult circumstances. If you weren't here on that Sunday and you haven't seen it yet, please, please watch yeah. that video. It's yeah. so powerful. You can find it uh, on the YouTube channel or through the Life Church app. And I had the privilege of working on that video with Adrian and, and others, which was really special. It was a lot of hard work, but it was just so great to be a part of it. And The day before Father's Day, on the Saturday afternoon, I had to go and get a haircut. And I went to one of those no-appointment, you know, just drop-in kind of places because I... Never get organized to make a booking, but that's just me. And the hairdresser asked me what I'd been up to that day. Well, great, that's a good leading question, isn't it? So I started to tell them about this video project I've been working on. I started to tell them about Arthur and his time in the water, lost at sea for two days after his ship was sunk, and how he miraculously survived. And I told them about his years as a prisoner of war and his eventual release. I told her about Edna and how she prayed for Arthur every night for four years before they even met. And I told her how they dated for just four weeks before getting engaged and that here they are, still married 72 years later. And I'd only been talking for about three or four minutes and my hairdresser had to stop for a moment to go get a tissue because she had started to cry. And she then asked a whole lot of other questions and we, we, as she continued to cut my hair. And we talked about some of her family history, and she shared some of the impacting stories that she had heard from her grandparents, which she had never really got into and didn't fully understand and was wondering about. And, and we just talked and talked. I think some of the other hairdressers started to get a little bit frustrated as they moved on to their third client while I was still sitting in the chair. <laughs> At what point do you get a haircut a, a discount? because you've got so little hair, does anybody know? Like... <laughs> but all that conversation started with was me just answering the question, what have you been doing today? Right. And I know that in this particular case, I was telling someone else's story, but it was the testimony of someone I know and have a relationship with. It was a story that I'd become very familiar with through the process of the interviews and making the video and so on. And, and really, it has now become a part of my story. And that's one of the reasons God formed the church, that we don't have to do this journey of faith on our own, but we can hear the stories of God's faithfulness and God's transformative power at work in the lives of those around us. And maybe you don't feel like you have a story, then talk to others in the room. Find people in this room that you'll hear the stories of their healing, you'll hear the stories of God's provision, you'll hear their stories of God's faithfulness, You'll hear their stories of how God has transformed their lives. Let their stories become a part of your story. Could I have the team come up? We're going to sing another song in just a moment. Keep your message clear. Keep your message that you talk about very simple. Tell the story of how God is at work in your life. Because there's power in your story. There's power in your testimony. If you share with people, this is what God has done for me, they can't argue with that. They can't, or they have to call you a liar, which most people don't want to do. But if you try and tell them about their lives, that's a bit more tricky. Talk about your life. Keep your message very simple. Tell them what God has done for you. Tell them what God has been faithful in. Because there is power in being able to say, I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was sick, but now I'm healed. I was broken, but now I'm whole. I was hopeless, but now I'm filled with hope. I was fearful, but now I'm courageous. I was depressed, but now I have joy. I was angry, but now I love. I was selfish, but now I'm generous. I was poor, but now I'm rich. I was a captive, but now I'm delivered. I was lame, but now I walk. I was addicted, but now I'm free. I was in debt, but now I'm released. I was a liar, but now I'm trustworthy. I was weary, but now I'm refreshed. I was hungry, but now I'm content. I was thirsty, but now it's been quenched. I was troubled, but now I have peace. I was restless, but now I have patience. I was rash, but now I have self-control. I was discouraged, but now I am an encourager. I was lonely, but now I am loved. I was rejected, but now I'm accepted. I was condemned, but now I am pardoned. I was weak but now I'm strong. I was guilty, but now I'm forgiven. I was in darkness, but now I walk in the light. I was blind, but now I see. Jesus is the light of the world. And in Him, the light is truth. The light is the way. The light is the life. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Would you stand with us? We're going to sing again.